Welcome, everybody, to episode number 27 of the Average Jake Firefighter Podcast. I'm your host, Robbie Owens, from the Average Jake Firefighter Blog. The total success of a fire department still hinges on the core fundamental element of water. The ability to establish an appropriate water supply for both fire attack and fire protection systems lies solely within the responsibility of the engine company officer. Water supply operations should be developed according to the potential of the involved occupancy and orchestrated in the most efficient means, no matter if the source is mobile or an improved infrastructure. As with all tactical preparation, pre-incident intelligence is the key to assuring effective water supply operations. This intelligence is not only limited to understanding the capabilities of the water distribution system in your assigned response area, but also understanding how to maximize the technology incorporated into our pumper, appliances, and fire hose. Understanding the performance capability of the standard engine company is simply not defined by an underwriter's performance plate on the side of a piece of pumping apparatus, but must involve a comprehensive evaluation of all setup configurations on apparatus with normal staffing. This is paramount in the quest to develop the most effective and efficient water supply operation. This document serves as an educational instruction as well as a company directive to standardize our water supply disciplines on each platoon. It is my personal philosophy that an engine company should be able to provide an adequate water supply not only by the demand of fire conditions, but in light of any deficiencies and obstacles that present themselves. As an effective engine company, we are to be water supply specialists. Water supply at the tactical level must be evaluated and rehearsed on two levels. These are the attack and supply levels. Although they are two totally different functions, they share a common goal that should be the basis for our planning, specifications, and setup of our apparatus and appliances. This philosophy is simple. Move as much water with minimal effort and resources. And that is an opening paragraph or opening uh, set of paragraphs rather to one of the things that I was indoctrinated in when I uh, joined my current department and was assigned to the very first station. And that is by one of my mentors, uh, then Captain Cricket Gerald, but now Assistant Chief Cricket Gerald, uh, one of the most intelligent and tactically sound firefighters fire officers, chief officers that have ever been around, a true legend in the Central Virginia Fire Service. And it sets and it just set the the stage for success from an engine company standpoint. Uh, you know, and I still believe a lot of those things today. Uh, and especially in a time where people are preaching tank water this and tank water that, and you don't need to lay lines. Uh, And I don't necessarily disagree with all of that stuff, but I think there's a time and a place for both. But at the end of the day, like it said, we still must be water supply specialists. We have to understand how to move as much water as we can with minimal resources because the reality is most of us are dealing with minimal resources. 
And that's going to lead us into a great interview today with Andy from The Water Thieves. Uh, I'm a little bit embarrassed because I feel like I'm pretty plugged into the fire service. And these guys were right up the road from me, an hour away in Charlottesville, Virginia, teaching these phenomenal water supply classes, phenomenal engine company classes. And I had just only recently heard about them. So I reached out to Andy and wanted to get him on the podcast to see uh, what we could, if we could talk about this water supply stuff, and I think they're going to bring a, another unique perspective. Uh, their whole hashtag, the Water Thieves, is get greedy with your water. And if you go to their website, their Facebook page, or their social media, they've got hundreds of pictures of triple tapped hydrants, of maximum water supply coming off of their uh, coming off of hydrants, coming into engines. Uh, so I think it's going to be a tremendous, tremendous interview. I can't wait to get started on it. Uh, again, like I say every time, thank you for joining me on this journey. 27 episodes in the Average Jake Firefighter podcast. It's just phenomenal. People are reaching out to me on a daily basis, telling me they're enjoying the content. And, and that is really, truly humbling because, as I've said before, the, the, the title of the blog, the title of the podcast is Average Jake, and I don't feel like I'm anything special. I just am a guy who loves this job and felt like I had something to say, and I felt like there was people that needed an avenue to say it. So I started writing the blog, and then that's why I started doing the podcast, because you know there just was needed to be an avenue for some of these people to, to share some of the great stuff that they're doing out there that maybe some of the other people are overlooking. Uh, especially here in Central Virginia. I would take the Central Virginia Fire Service and stack it up against anywhere in the country because we've got such great, great people here, uh, and great instructors, great programs going on. And uh, speaking of great programs, the Fireground Commander Conference is coming back. So stay tuned for the end of the episode where I detail the dates and, and all that you need to be able to do and to, uh, to be able to join us uh, for the Fireground Commander Conference 2020. But uh, with that being said, let's not belabor the point anymore. Let's get to the interview with Andy from the Water Thieves, and we're going to talk about everything to do with water supply. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Average Jake Firefighter Podcast. Super excited today to have Andy, not even going to try to pronounce his last name, <laughs> from the Water Thieves. Uh, he, even as we were doing the, the, the pre-stuff, like before we were getting ready to record, he was. He told me how to pronounce his last name, and I still don't think I would do it good. Uh, so I'm just gonna let him take care of introducing himself. Uh, so Andy, thanks for coming on to the Average Jake Firefighter Podcast. Uh, you know, we really, really are excited about talking about everything to do with water supply. And I know that's your big thing. But before we get into that, uh, tell us who you are and your fire service background. Yeah, Robbie, uh, thanks for having me on. This is a, a real honor for me, and. Uh... Uh, you know, the last name is Sacadato. I like to tell people that's common spelling and it's just a little <laughs> bit Italian. So, uh, yeah, um, I started in the fire service back in 2006 in New Jersey with the Chatham Township Volunteer Fire Department uh, at the age of 16, as I'm sure most of us do. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll never forget my very first drill at the fire department was uh, hooking up to a hydrant. And from that moment on, I uh, was infatuated with water supply and, and pumpers and, and apparatus in general. So uh, that's kind of where it all started from. Um, I got hired with the Charlottesville Fire Department in 2011, and I've been there ever since. 
I also volunteer uh, currently with uh, Crozet in uh, Albemarle County, Virginia. And uh, at work, I, I am a firefighter. I hold the, uh, the title of engine operator, tower operator, truck operator, and I get to till occasionally, which is always fun. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, it's like, I think that's probably, you know, it, every firefighter's dream is to, uh, is to ride in the back of the tiller truck, right? Like, absolutely. You know, like every, it's, every fire department that doesn't have one is jealous <laughs> of a fire department that does. Yep, uh, absolutely. And, and, you know, uh, uh, I'm very, very partial to the tiller in Charlottesville because I had the uh, distinct pleasure and opportunity to sit on the uh, apparatus committee for that truck. So I'm very biased towards it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so, all right. So, that, so that's your background. And, 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 it, and it is it kind of speaks to me a, a little bit because I did an interview on Pete Lamb's podcast sure. uh, a couple of years ago about training, like why I'm such a big into training. And, and that was kind of ex- a very similar experience to you. Whereas for a while I joined when I was 15, mm-hmm. you couldn't even go into fires. And so for a while, all I could do was train, you know? So it, it's really kind of funny that like your first drill was hooking up to a hydrant and, and getting, you know, a water supply. Well, you know, that, like set the pace or the tone for your entire career. And so I just think that's, that's awesome. I'm kind of known as a training guy, that's like right. which training, you know, and that's in that first impression is, is what kind of created that. So I really think that that's, that's cool. Yeah. Absolutely. So, so let's talk about the water thieves. Sure. Let's talk about, let's talk about what, uh, what is the whole, like, how'd you come up with the water thief concept? And when we're talking about this, this is the water thieves is not that, thing on the back of the pumper that you know with with a you know three inch discharge and two inch and a half discharge you know that's right thing you know this is your training company your llc that's going out and educating people on all things water supply so talk about the water thieves yeah so um you know as i said before i've always had a passion for water supply moving water being a, a competent pump operator uh, you know, a little, you know, more than a, just a lever puller. I can't, I can't stand, and I'm sure you, you feel the same way. I can't stand lever pullers. Um, and, uh, you know, before, you know, once I got released as an engine operator in Charlottesville, I'd been an operator in uh, volunteer companies and stuff like that. Um, I was teaching for Albemarle County, uh, teaching their DPO uh, schools and their, uh, Uh, career schools, their volunteer schools, stuff like that. And uh, I had some friends approach me from Chatham where I volunteered up in New Jersey. And they're like, Hey, uh, you seem to have your stuff squared away. Would, would you mind coming and helping us uh, with the pump class and just, you know, doing something? Sure. I I love doing this stuff. So I went up there with uh, a good friend of mine, uh, Zach Warner. He's one of our instructors. Uh, He also works with me in Charlottesville. And uh, we went up and did a weekend class in Chatham, and it was a blast. We had a lot of fun. We moved a lot of water. Um, and from there, I just kind of thought, yeah, you know, this, this is fun. And Zach was like, you know, you need to do this, you know, as a business, and, you know, go around and make it an official thing. And I was like, ah, we'll see. I, I don't know. I don't know if there's really a demand for it, because let's be real, a lot of people don't think water and water supply it's not sexy you know it's not forcing doors it's not throwing ladders it's not cutting roofs right well after that um a couple other friends uh from other departments up north were like hey we heard that that class in chatham was really awesome uh would you mind coming to our department 
and we'll pay you for it. And I was like, holy crap, <laughs> you know, like I, I, I never thought that that would actually become a thing. So uh, it kind of blossomed from there. So the bottom line is uh, we are absolutely committed to teaching folks uh, street smart ways and outside the box options for maximizing their water supply. And most importantly, in a functional manner, right? We're not worried about, uh, yeah, you can get 3,201 gallons per minute out of this hydrant. But if you do it in a way that uh, the, the incoming units, the next company, the latter company, nobody else can do their job, it's for nothing, right? So we're, we're about maximizing water in a functional manner. And I like to call it thieving for function. So the name, we really struggled with the name, like what to call this. And Zach and I were sitting back and forth like, what, you know, what would be cool? What's a cool play on words? And, and Zach actually came up with the names. He's like, hey, why, why not the Water Thieves? It's a play on a fire service uh, water appliance. And it's about moving as much water as we can. We're thieving water. The guys at work would give me, uh, give me a hard time and say that the Water Authority would always have uh, wanted posters out for me because of all the water I move in the city. <laughs> so it just seemed to be perfect. And, and that's how the name came. Well, that's pretty, you know, and, and that's that's what I think is so great about these these fire service training companies. A lot of them are from these grassroots like, hey, I think you've got something to say and I think what you're saying is valuable and, and we should go out and, and show everybody. And, it, and it, that's really, really inspiring. So let's get down to moving some water. Let's get down yeah. to, to talking about some of the brass tacks of this stuff. Sure. Not to coin a phrase from from Elkhart Brass. But <laughs> so so you're talking about street smart ways to move water yeah and one of the things i'm hearing out there i'm sure you hear it as well uh you hear a lot of fire service instructors and a lot of the urban instructors saying that you don't even need a lot of water these days your tank water or maybe two tanks of water uh or like what uh, kurt isaacson down in florida calls the uh the booster backup basically just two pumpers next to each other is plenty of water for today's fires Talk about, not necessarily if you agree or disagree with that, but talk about maybe some of the pitfalls that can come by not maximizing your water supply. Sure, sure. And, and you know, one of the things, it's, it's funny you say that because uh, the, the company, the, the group of us, we're kind of known, seem to be known for moving big water. And that's absolutely what we love to do. And, and another friend of mine, he keeps uh, nudging me saying that, you know, you need to do a class called the first 500, you know, for like the first 500 gallons of water to right. prevent you from needing to go to that 2000 gallon per minute stream. And I couldn't agree a hundred percent more with that. You know, um, uh, that those first 500 gallons of water really dictate how the rest of the, the event goes. So I will never disagree with the fact that, uh, you know, booster tank water is key. I like to teach in my classes that, if, if your fire department didn't want you to use tank water, they wouldn't put tanks on your apparatus, right? So um, the big thing that we like to teach is while that is definitely where you want to begin, use your tank water, go from there, start from there. But if tactics and uh, uh, the fire outpaces your ability to do that uh, interior aggressive attack and you need to go to something that, that requires a little bit more firepower you as that supply operator that unsung hero that i like to call him um, need to be ready to support that operation 
efficiently and functionally. And I feel like there's a disconnect a lot of times because I know a lot of people, I used to be this way, you know, your second do on a fire, we all know in most departments, second do is what water supply. Ah, damn. I'm not, I'm not the first do engine. I don't get to pump all the lines. Right. But that guy really makes or breaks the entire operation. So like what we like to teach people is if you're in that role, whether you need the water or not, that's the incident commander's decision and, and everybody down the line, you need to be able to, if they call and say, Hey, we need to put a ladder pipe in service or a deck gun in service. Can you do that? Or are you going to be that weak link that allows this operation to fall apart? And what we like to tell people is let the weak link be the water main that you're connected to and the hydrant that you're connected to, not you as the operator connecting to it. You know, that is a great point. Well, and actually, and, and you'll, you'll hear this hopefully when you listen to the episode, uh, in the intro, I talk about, uh, I read a passage from one of my mentors, uh, Chief Gerald, mm-hmm. and he was adamant about when you're a supply pumper, send them the maximum amount of water you can send them and let them decide how much they want to use. Yeah. And I think that's kind of what you're saying you know, in a different way. And I've, I've always believed in that. The end user can dictate how much of that water they're going to move. But you, as the supply pumper, should be sending them, you know, every, send them everything you got. And when it gets down there to them, they can go, hey, we don't need a thousand gallons. Per sure, we only sure. need we only need three hundred. So we've got all this water in reserve. But if we need it, it's there. And I really think that's a that's a good way to be. And I really like how you talked about the tank water as well. So talk about some of the methods that you're using uh, to move some of this big water, right? Because there's a lot of controversy. Again, I say controversy for lack of better term. There's a lot of stuff like fire departments talking about they don't lay out. They don't want to lay out. They don't lay hose on the ground. I'm a big believer, and especially in every department that I've been in, we've always been the first new pumper lays out. And I think a big misconception is that is they think we're leaving somebody at the hydrant. Sure. We're, yep. not, we're, not, we're not leaving anybody at the hydrant. We're stopping at the hydrant. The driver gets out, wraps the hydrant, and then we drive down the street. And we start our attack, like you said, on tank water. Yep. And then we let that second new pumper come in and give us all the water. Yep. So talk about talk about that second do pumper. What are the things that you're teaching or preaching that can maximize that water delivery? Yeah, sure. So one of the first things that that we're pretty upfront about is we don't we don't want to get into the nitty gritty like these are the only tactics that you can use. When we come to a department, we ask them, how do you do business? Right. Whether you lay out or don't. If you say, hey, we don't lay out. okay, fine. I'm not here to preach that you need to change your tactics. That's, that's a global thing that you need to figure out. But if you're going to, you know, have that first new engine uh, commit without laying a supply line, you know, okay, we'll show you how to maximize it with your setup. So with that being said, whoever is the supply engine, whether it's your second, do third, do fourth, fifth, however you do it, right? What we like to teach people in the, uh, I call it the urban environment, meaning you have hydrants, right? Urban, suburban, whatever, an area that has hydrants. We love to teach that, uh, again, a lot of people are in that mindset. Okay, we get it. Tank water, attack engine is going to use tank water. And I think the majority of the fire service will agree to that. But what a lot of times people get into the habit of uh, is forgetting that that supply engine, hey, you have tank water too. And people look at me like I have seven heads when I say this. I like to call this the fast water process. So 
that first in engine, they laid out. Great. Good job. They laid out from your hydrant. And like you said, nobody's at the hydrant. Second do is making that supply. Whether there's a four-way hydrant valve or you don't use four-way hydrant valves, that doesn't matter, right? That supply line is on the ground. I like to tell people, who needs the water? And the answer always is the guys on the end of the attack line. They need the water. The attack engine needs the water. So what a lot of people do, and my department used to be uh, uh, pretty big on this in departments that I've worked in, they'll take that supply line and hook it directly to the hydrant, turn the hydrant on, and say, hey, you got all the water. Uh, you don't have to worry about a time limit because you're hooked directly to the hydrant. You know, you got the, the main, all that good stuff. But the problem is at this point, you have no control. And what I like to tell people is there's a very simple hydraulic equation. And I'm not going to dork out too much because I know people don't want to listen to that. That's not why they're, they're here. But the, the simple hydraulic equation that, that explains water movement and hydraulics to to a t is q equals a times v meaning that the quantity of water the gallons per minute is directly equal to the area of the opening times the velocity or the speed in which that water is moving so when we're dealing with a fire hydrant there's only one way that we can increase volume right we cannot dictate or affect the velocity of that water we can't move that water any faster right that fire hydrant does not have a pump the only way we have the ability to do that or to increase volume is to increase the area. And that means tapping multiple ports. And I'll get into that here in a minute. But back to this fast water uh, process, I preach that you take that supply line and hook it to your pump's discharge and send your tank water. Now, if you're using four inch or five inch, we all know that water is going to be used to fill the hose. And depending on the length of the lay, you may not have a lot left. And even if it's 100 gallons that makes it to the attack pumper, 100 gallons more might be the difference between being able to knock back the fire, make a tactical retreat inside, or, or, or some, some other type of uh, tactic that the attack team needs. It's always a good idea, right? So that's what we like to tell people to do to start. Send that, send that tank water as your, if you're the supply engine and then work on making your hydrant. Now you have tied yourself into the, the water supply system and you can do a thousand different things there, right? You know, if the, if the um, pump operator that's operating the attack engine is uh, somebody that doesn't really know what they're doing, you could effectively take control from the hydrant if you needed to. Or if they have a, a mechanical malfunction, right, now you're tied into the system. You know, I like to call it redundancy. We're really big on redundancy in the tech rescue world, right? We got safety factors out the wazoo. We're doing belays. Like, we're really redundant. But when we go to bread and butter fires, how redundant are we with our water supply, right? This is a way to build in that redundancy by tying that pumper in. Um, and of course, obviously, if you need big, big flow, okay, you're ready to do that. Your half a million dollar or more pumper is tied into the system and can, uh, and can overcome the friction loss in the line. So those, that's really in a nutshell, the, 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 the basics of what we try and tell supply pumpers to do. And, uh, you know, I could speak for three hours on that. <laughs> <laughs> we, no, but, but that's a great, but that's a great concept is, 
it, and, it, and to me, it, it, it and you, you related to the tech rescue world, you related it to, and I just related even more simply than that is that when that first engine lays out and that you tie in that, that supply pumper into the water supply system you, that you so eloquently said, if something happens to that first due engine, which has happened in my fire department, yeah. it had a, a first due engine failure. Now I can take that second due engine and pump through the first due engine and I can maximize my water supply. I can do all the other things that we, you know, cool stuff we like to do, but I can use that first engine basically as a manifold sure. and pump through them. And, and I think that's something that the tank water only community, again, not that we, we both said that we, we tend to agree with, you need to use your tank water, but that's something that when you put two pumpers in front of the house with no supply line on the ground, that's something that you have that now you can't do that. And once you're out of tank water, now you have to try to fix it yep. on the back end of it when it was easier to do it on the front end of it. Sure, sure, sure. And, and, and you know, there, there's, there's a lot of reasons why that happens. You know, we won't, we won't get into that. But, you know, I, I'm, I, I'm a firm believer in that redundancy. I've never, I've never seen a report on the news or anything like that after a fire, after a block burns down. And, and the complaint from whoever they're interviewing be – we had too much water, right? That never happens. It's always, well, we didn't have enough water and that's why it spread to the next block or whatever, right? Yeah, we're, or, we're trying to kill yeah. that. We're trying to kill or, that. Or even go into a line of duty death report, right? Like normally it's not because, hey, they flowed so much water into this house that this guy died. It was, we had a water problem. That's right. You know, or like we had a loss of water. So no, I, th- I think you're 100% spot on. So, so we're, we're at the hydrant. We've talked about th- this fast water. We've talked about sending our tank water down the line. Talk about how I can maximize my hydrant. Yeah. Talk about how I can. And that's just something, again, that I, I th- we've gotten away from in my department. Again, when I worked for, for now Chief Gerald, he was my station captain at the time. He was very big on uh, what he called dual hitching the hydrant. Yeah, yep, yep. And, and so we kind of got away from that in my fire department. And now it's kind of making a comeback. We got away from that because of five-inch hose and because of all of those things. Talk about the reasoning we should be maximizing our hydrant and then talk about how we can do that. Yeah, sure. So, so you know, our slogan is get greedy with your water, right? Water thieves, it kind of goes hand in hand. And, and the easiest way, like I said, the easiest way to increase your, your volume and your capability when you're operating from a hydrant or even from a draft, and that's a whole nother discussion but it's to open up that area and when we're talking about a a fire hydrant the majority and i'll say east coast hydrants because i don't have a lot of experience on the west coast but east coast hydrants the majority and iso they really they really uh, are happy when they're grading you on your fire hydrants most fire hydrants have a barrel that's five and a quarter inches in diameter Okay, and if we think about this, a lot of times operators get into the mindset. They're just thinking of inches. And well, if I put two three inch lines on the ground, that equals a six inch. No, not at all. Not even close. Right. So we really need to. And we're comparing hose diameters, pipe diameters, uh, barrel sizes. We really need to be thinking in square inches. Okay, and I'm not going to bore you all with too much of this math, but. When we're dealing with a five and a quarter inch barrel hydrant, which is the, the standard in, in at least our region in Virginia and most of the East Coast, most of these hydrants have a four and a half inch steamer port and two, two and a half inch side ports. Okay, so we want that limiting factor to be the main 
and the barrel size of that hydrant, not the discharge port. That's what we can control. We, as the pump operator, have control of that. We do not have control of the, the, the size pipe that they put in the ground 50 years ago when they, when they did it, right? We have no control of that. So we want the goal to be that our, our discharge opening is greater. We want to exceed whatever's in the ground. And if we can do that, we've effectively done our job as a supply pumper, okay? And just some numbers, just to put this into perspective. When I'm dealing with a five and a quarter inch uh, barrel uh, hydrant, I have 22 square inches of opening, okay? That's, that's, that's the area of that barrel. But when I, when I use just the four and a half inch steamer port, right off the top of your head, you know that that's going to be smaller than the barrel, right? The limiting factor yeah. is that four and a half inch, and that's 16 square inches. But when I use that four and a half inch and the two and a half inch side port, just one of them, now my area, my outlet area is 21 square inches. So right there, we're close. We're one square inch away from maximizing that five and a quarter barrel. Okay. So the one thing we like to teach, sure. If you triple tap a hydrant, we go into double tapping and triple tapping. You, you know, you called it the, the, the double hitch, right? Same thing. Yeah. Dual hitching. Yep. Dual same hitch, thing. right? That triple tap. Absolutely. That's how you can truly honestly say, yes, I have maximized my capability because there is literally nowhere else for water to come out of this hydrant. Okay. Sure. But let's say you don't have the equipment. My fire department, we only carry one gate valve per engine. And in the East Coast, when you're dealing with a dry barrel hydrant, right, you got to make, you got to put those valves on before you turn the hydrant on or else you're hosed, <laughs> right? Yeah. So if you only have one gate valve, we're not trying to tell people, hey, you always have to fully dress the hydrant is what we call it, right? You don't always have to do that. Just by throwing, taking the 10 extra seconds to put that one single gate valve on one two and a half inch uh, uh, port will pay huge dividends in the, in the long run, right? Yeah, it's not as cool of a picture because that hydrant it doesn't have hose coming out of every orifice, but that's where we get into this uh, – thieving for function right functionally the time it takes to put one gate valve and the dividends that it pays in the long run it's worth it 110 percent. and that's the biggest thing that we like to show people that's that's the biggest improvement to your your supply pumper game you can make as an operator take that gate valve throw it on and you know what the beautiful thing is if we go into that uh you know the the argument ah we only we only need a tank water we're only using the hydrant to refill our booster tanks. That's fine. The gate valve is there if we need it. If we go from a two-line fire to a two-ladder pipe fire, oh, okay, well, now I have the ability to stretch another supply line to another intake, and now I can build my system as it goes, right? So, so that's the one simple, the, you know, the easiest way that you can increase your, uh, your, your available water from a hydrant. So what I like to tell people is the difference between double tapping, triple tapping. When do I use that? Right? Like when should I say, you know what? I want to go to that triple tap. So my go-to play, go-to play all the time is a double tap. Okay. If I'm arriving as a second due engine and I'm tasked with being the water supply pumper on a residential fire, or even a commercial fire, 
my go-to, we're all about speed. I need to get that attack engine water and a sustainable water as fast as I can. I don't want to waste the time fooling around trying to put, you know, two gate valves and my steamer connection to that hydrant. So I'll just put one. And like I said before, if it transitions to a defensive fire where we're flowing big water, okay, great. I'm good. So that brings up the triple tap. When do I want to triple tap? What I like to tell people is if you're pulling in on the third, fourth, fifth alarm, and you're being tasked with supplying a ladder pipe, or you know that this is a large defensive fire, you have the time to put that second gate on and truly maximize whatever you need. Because at that point, you need volume, right? So take the extra time to put that third uh, uh, port into play, if that makes sense. Makes a ton of sense, and I really like how you how you broke that down into the dull, you know, like even when to use it because I can, you know, guarantee when people listen to this episode, if you hadn't gone into that, they'd be like, oh, so when do I do that? And I think taking it a, a step further, it it baffles me a little bit that people in an urban or even a suburban environment where you have hydrants aren't taking more advantage of this. I know I've been to several fires where. Just the way the land was laid out, the you know the way the street's too narrow, or the you know the apartment complex, especially an apartment complex, in it, like the closest you can get to the fire is one engine, one truck. And yeah. a lot of times there's a hydrant close, and that that attack pumper ends up being its own supply pumper, being self sufficient with water supply, and there's nobody else that can lay into you. Like there's no other way that you're getting any other water. So. I've utilized that dual hitch technique several times in that situation yeah. and it's always worked well. And especially like if you had to transition to that supplying the ladder truck or supplying heavy lines, you've got that extra water that you can do it. You're not going, well, if I do this, I'm below 20% of my residual or even 10% of my residual. I can't give you anymore. You're going to have to shut down all these other lines for well, me to be able to do that. So I'm glad you bring that up. And, awesome. and, and one of the things that I, that I really like to talk about, and it's probably the one thing that people hate in DPO is available water, right? Yeah. Yeah. We've percent drop and blah, 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 blah. Right. I'll be honest. Nobody likes doing percentages. I can't do percentages at, at three in the morning. That's why I've made uh, cheat sheets, right? I have an available water flow conversion chart, Right. And, and that's that's what I use it for, because I don't want to do the math in, in the and field. It, and, and it's funny. You, it's funny you say that, because I actually have. I bought one. Yeah. Of yeah. The, of the uh, and I bought one. And it's the it's a man. It's, you know, speaking of the quality of it you know, with Taylor's tins. Yeah. It he is, did an awesome th- job. Yeah. It is fire ground ready. Yeah. Like, you could put this on the pumper. Uh, and so that does really good, you know, since it, since we're talking about it, go ahead and talk about that water flow conversion chart and tell me how, you know, what, what it does for me and tell me how to, how to use it. Yeah. So, so, uh, you know, it started as I, uh, you know, in DPO, we learn available water and being a geek that I am, I'm like, well, that's great. I, I want to know how much water I have. You know, th- this is great. This is a great tool. But I'm saying to myself, this is the disconnect between the publishers who write these books and, and, and the real fire ground. I'm like, how in the hell am I going to remember percentages, right? First of all, how to do a percentage. I know that sounds dumb, but how to, 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 to figure out the percent drop and then remembering the categories. Zero to 10 percent is three times. 11 to 15 is two. 16 to 25 is one, right? And, and trying to remember that in a high stress environment, right, is not realistic. Right. And then the bottom line, and this is, this is what really sparked my interest, does it really matter if it's a 7% percent 
drop in pressure. I said to myself, no, it's a range. I just want to know if it falls into this category. So I said to myself, well, in my area, I have static pressures that range from 20 PSI on the low end to some hydrants have 110. And I know some people have higher. So my chart goes to 200 PSI for those people that have really high static pressures because it exists. But what I did, I said, I'll just do the math on the front end. So I did the zero to 10% uh, residual drop for each of those static pressures and put it in a three times column. Then I did the 11 to 15 uh, for those same static pressures, put it in the two times column and the same for the one time, you know, 16 to 25. So now all you have to do as a pump operator, you don't have to do any math, right? You just have to know three things. You have to know where you started. What is my static or close to static pressure, right? Because this is a fire ground. Okay, note that. I carry a magic marker, a permanent marker, and I'll, I'll make a note of that. I'll flow whatever I'm flowing, and then I'll note my residual pressure and, and, and uh, mark that as well. Now I take my chart out, and I look. And I say, okay, our static was 65, all right? And it dropped to 50. So now I'm going to scroll over until I find 50 on the chart, and it tells me what uh, uh, category I am. I either have three, two, or one times available, whatever I'm currently flowing. And it's that easy. You don't have to do any percentages. You don't have to do anything. Um, so it started as something that uh, I printed out on, uh, on just regular printer paper. And laminated. We know how that goes at the pump panel, right? <laughs> yeah, that, correct. That did not last very long. So uh, fortunately, uh, you know, give a shout out to Taylor's Tins because he rocked it. He did an awesome job. And uh, he's, he's made them on uh, thick pieces of, of tin. And I, uh, we got two, two sizes available, one that's a wallet size and one that's an index card size. So if you have a hard time seeing, you know, you get the bigger size. Um, so it's, uh, it's really cool. And, and it's something that I'm pretty proud of and it's just simple, right? It's simple. Absolutely. And, and I would say also for the value that it brings you at two o'clock in the morning, it's relatively affordable. Uh, you guys are charging only $10 for this high quality piece of material. I mean, like I said, I bought one yeah. and it's, it's, it is, it is like, I could stick it in my coat. I could put it on. It's got a little, uh, a little like a spot for a ring. I could, I could put it on the pumper. I could, it's in, if I drop it, if I get it wet, it's going to last. It's, like, yeah. I mean, it, it is just, I, I think it's amazing. And you guys have come out with some other ones as well. Uh, talk about those. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I get it. People hate friction loss and, and, and people don't like doing friction loss. People don't like doing things on the fire ground. Right. I totally understand that. And, you know, I don't believe that you need to be down to the decimal. Nobody believes that. Right. So what I've done, because again, at three o'clock in the morning, uh, you don't want to be doing math. And what I like to tell people, uh, at least in my environment, uh, it's it, obviously it's going to change for every fire department. But you should never have to do math for a pre-connected hand line. That should all be done before you go to the fire. You know, whether you have the flow testing equipment or not, at a bare minimum, you should be able to do the math pen and paper before you go to the fire and have an idea, right, of what your pump discharge pressure should be. You should really never have to be doing FL equals CQ squared L on the fire ground. That's, that's silly, Right. So pre-connects, you don't have to really do math for. What I like to tell people is in my department, there's, there's four evolutions that you're going to do math for, okay? Relay pumping being the big one. Pumping through a supply line because the variables change every time. Length, flow, 
diameter. That changes every time, right? If we're doing an FDC operation, you know, pumping a high rise, great. If we're doing a, a, a leader line operation, which, you know, we're not going to get into, but, you know, there's a lot of hot debate on a leader line, right? Mm-hmm. Or if I'm doing a portable ground monitor. And if I'm doing a portable ground monitor, does it really matter if I'm a couple pounds off? And the answer is always no. So really the most important out of those four that, that you want to be somewhat proficient because it has the highest probability of happening is the relay pumping or supplying that supply line. So what we came up with was quick, easy uh, charts that are on that same tin um, for different flows. The most common flows for, for four inch and five inch. And we even made a three inch one for those departments that are using three inch as their, as their supply line. So I know it's not as common and, uh, but, but it's there. So uh, what we like to tell people is when you're in that relay pumping position, does it really matter if the fire ground is using 325 gallons per minute, whether you're using four or five inch? And the answer is absolutely not. It does not matter because you as the supply pumper, you want to worry about three different flows, okay? 500 gallons a minute, 750 gallons per minute, and 1,000 gallons a minute, all right? If I hear in my department that I have two hand lines in operation, my brain is saying, hey, they're flowing 500 gallons a minute. Whether they're actually flowing 200 or 400, I'm giving them five. So I go to my chart. I find the 500 gallon per minute. Okay, we got 400 feet on the ground. There you go. That's That includes the friction loss value for 400 feet plus a 20 to 50 PSI residual intake pressure built into the number. So there you go. You, that gives you a, a, a place to start. The only thing the chart doesn't account for is any elevation. And that is going to vary. That's something that you're just going to have to figure out, right? That's, that's the fire ground. So it, it gives you a good place to start. Well, yeah. And, and especially, it, I think it's almost impossible to, at the pump, at the pump panel, you know, be able to tell, like, is the line, you know, like where the line is operating in the structure? Because technically, if you go up a flight of stairs, even in a residential structure, yeah. that's that's five pounds of head pressure, right? Yep. You know what I mean? So, and, or are they operating half bail? Are they operating full bail? You know, and I think that's, I think you're exactly spot on. Like, you have to just, you have to go with what your your known values are. Hey, this is 200 feet of inch and three quarter with a 15, 16 smooth bore. Here's what I'm pumping it at. Yeah, you know, and if that guy's operating half bail, full bail, upstairs, downstairs, you know, he he's gonna have to make the adjustments there. Yeah, absolutely, and uh, yeah, so so really, the the basis behind it was just just making something that's simple and uh, you know easy to use for the operator. Uh, but you know, going back to uh, because I really I really the thing is, I hope people after they hear this, they go out and play with some of this stuff. Because, you know, that double tapping, I can't, I cannot stress enough how big that is in, in the long, uh, in the long game. And what you'll see is, um, you know, what I like to tell people to do is, you know, you hook to your steamer, right? However you want to do it, whether you're a front intake department, your side intake department, I'm not going to debate that because we'll be here for, for four hours. But, <laughs> you're correct. Yeah. But, but <laughs> you hook to your steamer and you flow a flow, uh, 500,000, whatever you want to flow. And then you open up that, uh, that, that side port that you put the, the gate on to another intake. And, and what you're going to see is a rise in residual intake pressure. And that tells you two things, right? It tells you one of two things. 
it tells you more water is available because an increase in resi- residual pressure directly it, it means that there's more water available and if you look at the chart it tells you that right if you're going from the two times category and that rise in residual pressure bumps you into the three times category oh okay now that, it's more water but what it right. also tells you is let's say you're currently meeting your fire flow demands and this is the bigger point and i think people forget about it let's say that you're meeting your fire you're flowing a thousand gallons a minute with 20 PSI on your residual and, and you know, you're doing your thing and, and everybody's happy. But when you open that side port and you get that extra residual intake pressure, whether it's 10, 15, 20, whatever it is, right? That's telling you, yes, you could flow more water or if you're meeting the fire flow demands currently, your pumper doesn't have to work as hard because that's 10, 15, 20 pounds of extra help, meaning that the pump doesn't have to make that. So you'll see your engine RPMs will drop and everything works a little less hard. And in the long run, if you're on that multiple arm fire, right, you're not burning as much fuel. The truck isn't working as hard, blah, 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 blah. All the maintenance guys, they're happy. All that good stuff, right? You're not worried about stressing the truck out as hard. So there's two reasons to double tap. Most people think it's because, oh, I want more water. And yes, that's absolutely the main reason. But the other reason is if you're meeting your fire flow uh, goals, you don't have to work as hard to do it, right? Because you're getting extra help. Absolutely. And, and like I said, I know uh, when I was learning how to pump, like we would call that like a net engine pressure. Yes. Yeah. Type net, deal. Yep. Net pump discharge pressure. That's yeah, exactly perfect. what it is. Yep. Yeah. And, and so, no, that's, that is all like 100% spot on. We've been going for about 40 minutes and it's been all outstanding stuff. And before we start to wrap up, I want you to talk about, uh, where, you know, I, I think people are going to like want to contact you. So how can they get a hold of you? How can they, how can they get these, these great 10 uh, conversion charts? Yeah. How can they get to you and talk about some of the classes you're offering as well? Yeah, absolutely. So um, we are on Facebook, uh, the water thieves. Uh, We're on Instagram. So you can follow us on either of those. And uh, we have a website up. It's, it's kind of new. So bear with me. I'm, I'm still playing with that, getting that all up and running, but it's the water so if you're interested in any of that stuff, you know, it's, it's all on there. You can order it there and, and I ship it to you as fast as I can, I can ship it. Um, uh, but, you know, some of the classes that we have coming up, we're really honored and, and proud to have the distinct honor of being able to teach at the uh, Perfecting the Craft uh, conference in uh, the Richmond metro area uh, in memory of Lieutenant Brad Clark. Um, so we're, we're really honored to be going to that. Uh, that'll be in September. We also have uh, uh, a conference that we're going to up in New Jersey, uh, the Jersey Fire Conference. I believe there's still spots open in that. If you're if you're willing to make the trip or the pilgrimage, we'll be doing our uh, tactical drafting class there. Um, and then a, a shout out to uh, Hurt, Virginia. We're going to Pennsylvania County this weekend to actually do our um, our water thievery class. So we're going to be doing rural water supply and um, uh, some hydrant work this weekend in Hurt. So stay tuned for some some pictures and stuff like that. So um, then we got a, a bunch of other little classes throughout the year and, and, and the rest uh, going into next year. So awesome, man. So uh, give us your uh, so is everything all your social media, everything is just like at the Water Thieves. Give us your what was your yeah. Instagram again? Yeah. So it's uh, the Water Thieves is the Instagram. The Water Thieves is the Facebook. And then if you want to reach out to me personally, 
you know, the website, there are links to email me, but it's really simple. If you want to uh, reach out, it's thewaterthieves at gmail.com. All right. All outstanding stuff. Outstanding stuff. So, you know, as we're starting to wind down the podcast, uh, anything that you want to, you know, you know, a nugget that you want to leave the listeners with or anything else you want to cover with this water supply. And I really think we're going to have to have you back on because I wanted to talk some rural water supply, but I like to keep these at about an hour for people commuting to work and everything. I'd really like to bring you back on for a rural water supply episode. Absolutely. Uh, So, so, but before we end this episode, any, uh, anything you want to talk about, any nuggets you want to leave the, uh, the listeners with? Yeah. the, The biggest thing is the water is out there. You just have to go get it. And, you know, the uh, the only limiting factor really, truly and honestly, and I know it's cliche, but it's your imagination as a pump operator. If if you if you can think of outside the box ways to get that water, you can get it. Okay. Wow. What a I I couldn't say it better myself. That's great. The water's out there. You you just got to go get it. And I think that's that's true for so many things that that we do. Uh, just not just water, just in the fire service itself. So Andy, thank you so much for coming on this episode. I really, really appreciate it. Yes, sir. Thank you, Robbie. We, we really appreciate it. And, and I'm absolutely honored. Thank you. All right, everybody, make sure you go check Andy and the water thieves out, uh, hit up all their social media, go contact them. I know they're willing to go teach. So get them out there to your department. Stay tuned. We'll be back with some closing stuff right after this. That was an outstanding interview with Andy from the Water Thieves. I'm still not comfortable pronouncing his last name, so I'm not even going to attempt it. But what a just eye-opening and tremendous conversation about moving water. And I think we talked about a lot of things. He's a tank water guy, but he also believes in, in backing that up and being able to move as much water as you can. So just tremendous, tremendous. We are definitely going to have him back on because I want to talk about some rural water supply and how we can maximize our water flow in those rural water situations. So again, thank you to Andy from the Water Thieves. Go check out the Water Thieves. They are masters at moving water. Uh, Go to waterthieves.com. Go to their social media sites. And uh, I'm telling you, I own, you know, they didn't give it to me, anything like that. I believed in the product so much uh, for their water flow conversion charts, water flow conversion chart that I went out and bought it myself. They didn't give it to me for free or anything like that. And I believe in that product so much that I want you to go and to the waterthieves.com and, and pick them up. I'm probably going to pick up the other, the LDH conversion ones and as well. Uh, again, great price for a phenomenal product. Just the conversion chart, the available water flow conversion chart is $10 and it is a phenomenal piece of equipment that is made by Taylor's Tins. And so let's talk about some people that support me and this podcast. Taylor's Tins is one of the biggest supporters of this podcast. I believe in that company so much. They've given me the opportunity to wear their tin on my helmet front every day. It is stands up to abuse. I get comments on how good it looks. It is awesome. So make sure you go to taylorstins.com. That's taylorstins.com and contact Taylor. They don't, obviously, as if you've listened to this episode, just do helmet fronts. They can make you anything that you think that you might desire on a tin. They've made water flow conversion charts now for the water thieves. I've seen them make keychains. Uh, I mean, all sorts of great stuff that you can use and that you can use to help you get better. 
uh, you know, taylorstins.com, and they're not just some fly-by-night drop-down menu. Uh, they're going to give you custom art every time that you want something from them, and they're going to let you pick and tweak, and they're going to make your product exactly what you want. I cannot speak highly enough about Taylor's Tins. They're awesome. So go to taylorstins.com, stop burning up leather, and start wearing a Taylor's Tin. The second is Vanguard Safety Wear. Vanguard Safety Wear, the makers of the MK1 Fire Glove. Those gloves are made for work. Was doing a Mayday Firefighter down drill the other day where we had to tie the handcuff knot and tie all these knots and, and, and hook guys up using carabiners and all these things. And guys with the other gloves, I'm not going to say which brands they are, but guys with other gloves were struggling, struggling to tie knots, struggling to, to hook carabiners. Not me when I was wearing my MK1 Vanguard Safety Wear Fire Gloves. Those gloves are awesome. They get better every time. Uh, you know, I think everybody should have them. Once you wear one, you better make sure you got enough money because when they wear out, you're going to want another set. So go out there and go to VanguardSafetyWear.com or Dingus Fire Company and get you a pair of MK1 Fire Gloves. They also have some rescue gloves, extrication gloves that you can wear. So if I haven't worn those yet, but if they're anything like the Fire Gloves, then they're going to be awesome. Vanguard Safety Wear. They're made for work. And lastly, I'm super excited to announce the Fireground Commander Conference coming back for 2020, March 23rd through 25th, Henrico County, Virginia, at the Henrico Theater. The Fireground Commander Conference this is the third Fireground Commander Conference. The the brainchild uh, of everything to do with the Fireground Commander is my good friend. Ben Martin from EmbraceTheResistance.com, and he honors me every year by allowing me to participate on the uh, backside of the conference with helping him plan it, helping him pick speakers, helping him budget it, helping him run it, uh, everything that has to do with, with the conference on the back end of it that has nothing to do with the show being out front. Uh, I get to help out with uh, with him and my good buddy Taylor Goodman. Uh, we're, we're so excited that we were able to bring you another great group of instructors. We're not announcing the full lineup yet, but I can tell you, you're not going to want to miss it. Some of the instructors we already have, uh, signed up that we're just not releasing the whole schedule yet because we want it to, we kind of want to do it at one time. And we've got one or two guys that haven't committed yet just for some scheduling stuff. But I can tell you. Our keynote speaker is going to be phenomenal. He's going to rock your face. Uh, you know, the other guys we have coming, it is going to be by far one of our best ones yet. I can't wait for March 23rd through 25th. You're going to be able to find out everything you need to know on EmbraceTheResistance.com and the Embrace the Resistance Facebook page. Also, we have a Twitter at Fire underscore Commander. That's at fire underscore commander. That's your another way you can keep track of all the Fireground Commander news. Fireground Commander is the original Central Virginia Fire Conference. Okay, you should go to all the other ones, but you should definitely come to the original Fireground Commander Conference that's happened in March 23rd through 25th, 2020, in Henrico County, Virginia, at the beautiful, historic Henrico Theater. If you if you want to know kind of what the what to expect. Go back a couple episodes. I interviewed Ben about last year's conference as kind of a preview. Hopefully, he'll want to come back on again and do that. 
and uh, once we announce all the speakers and everything. But again, I cannot say enough. I'm a little bit biased because this is a project that I'm that's near and dear to my heart. I'm deeply involved in it. So make sure that you're looking in March 23rd through the 25th in Henrico County, Virginia. And let's fill up the Henrico Theater. It's about your future in the fire service. Come get a good learn on. Come get some brotherhood. And uh, we'll be announcing more as it goes by. And like I say every time, make sure you're spending one hour a day in the gym working on your physical fitness. One hour a day in the library doing some research, reading some articles, listening to a podcast, something to educate yourself about our job. And then make sure you're spending an hour a day out there doing some sort of hands-on training, using the tools, triple tapping a hydrant, dual hitching a hydrant, doing pump calculations, stretching line, flowing water, moving big water. You do that, I guarantee you'll become a pretty phenomenal firefighter. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, but aggressive. I'm out.